I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's the My First Gig podcast. Whoa. Sharing stories of first gigs and shows. Here we are. We're back. That was the lovely jingle. I've missed it, even though I listen to it most days for the last two years. But wow, hello, welcome back. Thank you for joining for the first time, most likely. It's very hard to keep podcast listeners when you've had a two plus year break. Uh, but if you have listened to episodes before and you're back because you've got so I subscribe to this, and then Joe Lysa pops up, and you go, "Oh, we might check that out. That sounds good." Welcome back. Um, yeah, it's been a long time. Uh, I was always sure it was going to come back. Um, I guess I didn't think it would be this long. So, a little backstory on the podcast, uh, a refresher for those who've listened, and a story for those who haven't. This kicked off in January of 2020. I wanted to do 10 episodes per season, and I did, and that finished 10 weeks into 2020, which was the week before lockdown hit, and then we had this brand new free time, and we thought it would just be a little while, so I st- I went straight into season two, I think almost either either two weeks or even just a week later, and they were all remote podcasts done with people from America that you probably I wouldn't probably get the chance to listen to. And I was very against remote podcasts before that, but then they became like a big thing with the pandemic, so I went with it. But I still didn't really like it. It was early in the thing. You know, it's weird now even saying this, but two years ago, to do a video podcast on your computer wasn't unheard of, but it was quite rare. So if you call up somebody and be like, here, can you turn on your Skype there? They'd be like, huh, what? I'm sitting in my jocks in my bathroom doing this. So... I didn't do any videos, um, so they were all audio, and I just didn't feel like I connected with people as well as the face-to-face. Maybe it's the same. Maybe they're both of a pretty shite standard. But for my own personal uh, whatever the hell, um, I just thought, I want to do these in person. I'm going to wait and come back. And I think I did eight didn't even get to the 10. I had a corrupt, a corrupt um, audio files that lost a few, which have since been recovered, and that had older in-person ones as well, which some really good guests. Um, so they're going to be coming up in this season. Thank God. I'm going to have to email them and be like, hey, do you remember we did this before the pandemic? Or do you remember we did this during the pandemic? It's coming out next week. And I'm like, what? Who are you? Like... I've retired. I've changed my name. I live in Mexico now. Um, but no, they're going to be coming out. And I just, I thought I'd wait until we came back. And I don't know where you're living, but in Ireland, we didn't, we came back for like about six weeks in late 2021, like 18 months later. We didn't have the summer's opening and bar, like we had indoor dining and stuff like that for like, it was a 90 minute, you had to have food, like shows didn't come back until late 2021 and then we shut down again straight away until early 2022 so it's only in the last it sounds mad but it's only in the last six months that we're fully back so i've spent the last six months um not even six months because i had to wait for comedians to travel and start touring again so that was always a couple of months behind so look it's crazy that's two and a half years later but it's you know, obviously we all know about the pandemic, but with the fact with touring comedians, they've only started coming to Ireland in the last maybe four or five months. So I've been collecting and we're here. 
And what a great first guest. I said his name already, Joe Lysett. That's a thing in podcasts that's funny. People go, our guest today is, drum roll please. And like, yeah, it was in the episode title. It's the reason I downloaded it. I've actually skipped your voices because I've never listened to you or your podcasts. Don't know what your name is. Get me to the person I know, please. Um, So it's Joe Lysett. We recorded this uh, when he was in Dublin doing his show, More, 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 How Do You Lysett, in Vicar Street. I think he did three nights or four nights. Four nights. What an amazing show. The tour's coming to an end now, but he's filming it um, soon. So I'm guessing there'll be Amazon Prime or Netflix or some streaming deal. Get on that. He asked people not to tell what the show's about, and for good reason, because there is a, like a, a pretty serious and constant thread throughout it. I thought it was amazing. I went to the show twice. To I just wanted to see it again. Uh, one of the best like full shows I've ever seen, uh, certainly in person up there. Uh, it was brilliant. He was a great chat. Um, I love when I emailed him asking, would he do this? Like... Obviously, I'm emailing a lot of these people cold. Some people I know or have crossed paths with, and you can use that being like, hey, we met at this thing. Never spoken or met Joe Lysa before. So I emailed him anyway, and his response was great. Like, he didn't have to say it, but he was like, ah, fuck it, okay, why not? <laughs> I think it was a case of going, I'm there for four nights, might as well do a podcast. Um, but he was so nice then when we sat down, uh, a great chat and, um, yeah, very nice. Um, very nice. Just, you know, some, sometimes people are in and out and that's fair enough. They're doing me the favor. They're giving me the time. You know, I'm getting a lot more off of their name than they're getting being on, on this podcast. So when people go out of the way to be sent, it's, it's, it's really cool. As, as I've been a big fan of his for a long time. Um, so what a great guest to kick off season three. Like I don't know what I've been up to. I used to do little chats in this, in this, um, in this opening bit, and I listened back to a few of them uh, before, before recording this because I've forgotten them. I don't like listening back to myself, even with the interviews, when there's other people there. I don't. I'm not. I'm not mad onto that. So the bits of me, at the top and at the end speaking, no. So I listened back to a few. Just going, what did I actually speak about? And one that I found quite. Uh, Quite nice and interesting was my cat had turned 20 and I did a rundown of all the old cats who, the oldest cats ever. And uh, I remember somebody came up to me recently enough. So basically the reason I'm saying, I should address if you're watching on video, not all episodes are going to be on video because... As I said, a lot were recorded beforehand, and also it depends on the situation if I can get video or not. I'm going to try and get video as best I can, and I have been, but video's not a guarantee. We have a video today, it's in a low dark room, but it's there because I know people watch podcasts on YouTube now. I do it myself, and uh, yeah, that's that. I am in some sort of like Soviet prison here, if you watch it on video. If you're not, picture a Soviet prison, and it's actually not that quite bad. Um, yeah. Oh, what was that about? Yeah, my cat. So my cat, Kitty, uh, turned 22 in May. And then she, we, we said goodbye to her a couple of days later. And we knew we were going to. And, you know, when they're that age, all you think about is like, right, am I going to walk in and find her? Is she going to go missing? Um, so it was going to happen one day. And it was very nice to, to know as hard as it was. And, I just, I had recordings of her as a joke. I'd go up and just put, she was a very talkative cat anyway. So like all I had to do is put the microphone next to her and talk to her and she would, she'd meow away. So there was, like I'd forgotten and probably would never realize that there's like a whole intro I do where I pretend I'm talking to her, but it's just what she, she meows away. Um, So yeah, it, it, it was May that, that she passed away. So finding that was really nice. So if anything, if anybody's got anything out of this podcast, it's not going to be the listener. It's not going to be the guest. It's me. And it's listening to a recording of me. But yeah, I really enjoyed that. What's new with the podcast? It's now powered by Acast. 
I don't know what that means. Well, I'm very glad to be a member of the ACAST family. So many podcasts I listen to uh, are, are part of ACAST. And as much as I'm annoyed every time I listen to a podcast and then you hear the little doom doom and it goes into an ad, I now kind of love that that sounds in this podcast. So if you hear it, please listen to the ads because that means we can raise enough money to get me out of this prison. You know, bail ain't cheap. So it's the exact same. If you're subscribed, just subscribe any old way. Just, yeah, just Acast. And there'll be a couple of ads at the at the front and back and one in the middle. Hope you don't mind. They're quite short. I put them in, in places that aren't too intrusive. And uh, But if you listen to them, please do, because they help out the pod. Um, if you watch it on YouTube, you kind of get away with that. If you hate ads so much and you want to go ad-free and you want all of the old episodes ad-free, then you can sign up at our Patreon, patreon.com slash myfirstgigpod. For just one euro a month, you get ad-free episodes, and you actually get the episode 24 hours earlier. But if you want to support properly, because one euro actually doesn't do anything, one euro is just about building a brand, all right? So know that while it's nice that you're giving one euro and you're getting the benefit out of it, I'm not getting the same benefit as you, okay? And can you really live with yourself? If you know that, for the sake of a euro, you know it's the case. Is it, you're basically given a twenty cent tip in a restaurant. It's like I'd prefer no tip. That's not true. Please subscribe for a euro. I really want people to just hear these things. And yeah, I, I'd love a twenty cent tip to be honest. But jokes aside, if you want to support uh, the podcast, you can support five euro a month, and that will get you. 20, no, 48 hours early. That will get you ad-free episodes of the old ones. That will then get you bonus questions with our today's guest, Joe Lysett. There's bonus questions with inaugural guest, James Acaster. Bonus questions with anybody whose questions were edited out or I recorded special questions with this in mind. There's bonus episodes that aren't under the My First Gig banner. But fun chats with people like David O'Doherty, Adam Buxton, I can't remember who else, but some pe- some fun people, Mark Watson, um, there's fun chats with them, they'll be going up over the next couple of weeks sporadically, there'll be bonus episodes, my uh, favourite Irish comedians and friends of mine from the Irish comedy scene, I'm going to be recording their first gig stories and you'll get to hear them, I think there'll be two of them a month, maybe fortnightly? If I record enough, maybe weekly. No, I'll tell you this. If there's enough Patreon members, I'm not going to set a number on it because, to be honest, I'll do it if there's five. But I don't want to say five and let you know that I don't have five yet. There's none yet because this is the first episode. But if we get to 60,000 euros a week on Patreon, I'll do it weekly. If we get to 60,000 euros a week on Patreon, I'll do an episode hourly. I'll just go on to people in the street being like, what's the first time you did something? What are you into? Horses? When's the first time you ate hay? Um, okay, yeah. Now I'm doing impressions. Uh, potentially. Not racist, but I don't know. Let's just, uh, once the words potentially racist come out of your mouth, I think it's time to stop. Um, especially when we're talking to such a fun guest. So if you're watching... That's my wave. If you're listening, thank you so much. As I said, patreon.com forward slash my first gig pod. Or if you want to support us for free, twitter.com forward slash my first gig pod. Instagram.com forward slash my first gig pod. YouTube.com search my first gig pod. And just, if you like this, just tweet about it. Instagram it. Put it on your stories. And just say, this was fun. You'd recommend it. I'm a little old boy. Trying to tell stories of the people we love. And if you can't even support that. That's fair enough really. I'm fairly selective with the stories I I, I put up. So. Thanks to ACAST Plus. No, not ACAST Plus. That'll come later. Thanks to ACAST for powering this podcast. Thanks to Joe Lysett for his time. Thanks to Vicker Street and Aiken Promotions for the space. And thanks to you for listening. So sit back, relax. Enjoy the silence. As we now come down. And I say, welcome to my first gig 
with none other than Joe Lysis. Take it away. Silly. Silly amount of... Th- oh, well, I mean, John McNally does 700 nights a year here. Yeah. But um, for me, you know, just to do one here was a kind of ridiculous and they had to be doing four in a row is really um, cool. I feel cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm not cool, but I feel cool. It's the comedy venue, I think, in Ireland. It's yeah. The, you know, yeah. growing up, it's like all the DVDs were from here. Yes. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I did like your first time coming around, or at least the first time I, I noticed you come around, was at Whelan's. Yes, I did Whelan's, which, if I'm right, is that like a standing gig? I think the audience was standing. Really? At least in some of it. There's one that I did where I did a tour show and the people were standing and I thought this isn't going to work and actually it did. I think that was here. If you use the downstairs room, you'll get like maybe five rows yeah. and then standing. Yeah, then maybe that's it. Because yes. it's like a wide room, so like the back of the room's only like 10 yeah. feet away from you. And standing... I quite like it when I see comedy standing, like standing audiences, but um, it's not common. Well, you need you need like a really tall stage, I'd say, because mm. if they're like up to your exactly up to your chest, yeah, yeah, it could be very strange. Yes, uh, but no, so yeah, so Vicar Street means those are the cool venues here. Yeah, it's really it's just really good for comedy. Yeah, um, wheel, um, both Wheelands and Vicar Street. I'm trying to think of any any others. I mean, I'd obviously I've done Laughter Lounge, and I actually did International for the first time. Ever. Um, that was recently, wasn't it? Last October. I was here filming Travel Man. We've done a Travel Man here, which hasn't gone out yet, with Mawan Rizwan. And I'm good friends with Johnny Candon, who's a, um, a brilliant stand-up, and he... Um, he was playing the international, so I said, "Oh, I'll come and sit, I'll come and watch you." I just went with the intention of watching, and then they sort of strong-armed me into doing ten minutes. And actually, I thought, Do you know, what? I've always wanted to play the international, so why not? And um, loved it. We had a really nice time. There was a great night where did a more and brought his son in. He showed him during the day. This is where I started. And yeah, he's like, right, go on, go up on stage tonight. Go up on stage. And he's like, no, no. Eventually, he came back during the show and was like, hey, look, I'm going to jump on, just do a quick quick little set. And I remember uh, the girl at the door was just like, the only way you're getting in here is by paying 13 euro. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're full. 13 euro, please. Wow. Uh, did you have to pay? No, I didn't. Oh, so there I'm, you go. So like, I'd done better than Dylan Moore. Maybe you are so. cool now. Maybe I'm cool, that's, actually. Yeah. That's the barometer. Take that, Dylan. Well, I've got beef with Dylan Moore, and I've never met him, but I used to work in a theatre in Manchester selling ice creams, and he uh, was performing, and I... How did it um, transpire? I was, um, uh, like, in the stalls, keeping an eye on the audience in the stalls, and was given ex- expressly told, if anyone's filming or taking photos, you have to go and shine a torch in their eye, to distract them and stop them, and that happened. Someone in, in quite front, uh, quite close to the front, um, started filming, and so I went and shone a torch in their eyes, or whatever. And then was asked in the interval to go and work on a bar or something, or just not be there because Dylan had been distracted by me and didn't want me there. And um, I was like, well, I, that's what I've been asked to do. You know, it's expressly been told to do that. So I was annoyed. But actually, now as a comic, I'm like, oh yeah, that would have been really distracting. It was probably someone from his team who'd asked him to do that. And like, you know, was, I now understand. But I maintained beef and maintained beef to this day. So to hear that he was denied access has made me delighted. Well, I loved the the, the explicit like in their eyes. Yeah, yeah, Not yeah. Just- not just to get their yeah, attention. Blind them, essentially, yeah. yeah. But also, you know... Don't let them when see you're any doing of the show. A, exactly. When you're doing a gig, even if it's in a theatre like the Palace in Manchester, particularly the stalls, you can see them. And if someone's having a light shone in their eyes, you can definitely see that. So I don't know where... I'd obviously been given a bum steer, but I didn't like that he'd sort of expressly asked me to be removed. I thought that was rude. I'll go around the audience tonight and do it for you if you want. Yeah, if you could, yeah. Yeah. Front row only and the just eyes. Just blind them, yeah. To go back now, if I say, what's your first memory of comedy? Mm. What, what springs to mind for you? The first memory of comedy. Or earliest, would, rather. Would probably be in the car with my mum listening to um, Victoria Wood on cassette. Uh, there's an old um, show of hers that mum had on cassette and finding that sort of painfully funny, like just just laughing so much. There's something, there was a joke that she had about going to H&M or one of those shops and... Um, she was complaining about the clothes not being for someone of her size and that she would get there and that the shutters would come down. And that, I just always <laughs> thought that was a really funny idea that like 
<laughs> poor Victoria Wood stood outside with the shutters come down. So that was probably the first one. And then, yeah, we listened to, we had like, we watched Lenny Henry and Lee Evans and people like that. So there was, there was comedy around. And my dad loved, um, uh, Only Fools and Horses. So that was often on. Um, and a bit of Blackadder, that kind of thing. So there's a kind of lot of iconic sort of British comedy. We didn't really have any American stuff, I think. I don't think that was easily available at that time anyway. Yeah, I don't think until like Sky really kicked in did stuff start to get shown, really. Yeah, so it was all the classic British stuff, you know. Um, uh, yeah, a bit of Billy Connolly, that kind of thing. So, yeah, so uh, tapes and cassettes and watched on the telly, so like there's... Comedy exists growing up. Yes. Um, before starting out, did you ever go out seeking out live comedy or go attend anything? No. And the first time I did it, I think it was the first time I did it, uh, I remember just being amazed by it and and it, and it really sowed the seed. And I kind of, I sort of couldn't believe how good it was. And it was um, at the, the Glee Club in Birmingham. I went with all my old well, still, they're not old friends. Well, they're old friends, but I'm still friends with them, if you know what I mean. Um, and uh, George Egg was on, who was brilliant. And I remember really laughing at George. But then Tom stayed closed. And it was when he was doing his routine about the meat raffle in Wolverhampton. Uh, it's a sort of iconic Tom stayed routine, yeah. which I, I think is on YouTube somewhere. And it's just so funny and was just uh, in pain laughing. Just thought it was absolutely extraordinary. And um, all of my friends were laughing way more. And I thought I was sort of funny. And they were laughing way more at him than they ever did at me. <laughs> and I remember feeling like, oh, I'm I'm funny, though. Like, a sort of being a bit annoyed that they were finding him. Even though I was finding he was objectively incredibly funny. Just being a bit pissed off that they weren't finding, that they would never find me as funny as yeah. they did him. And so... Um, it kind of started this sort of psychological thing of going like... Jealousy started to brew. Exactly, yeah. And just thinking about like how amazing it would be to do that and to be a, you know, to be a stand-up comedian. Never in a million years thought I'd ever have the confidence to do it or be good at it. So I sort of still to this day don't quite know how that happened. So uh, you mentioned earlier about working in the theatre in Manchester. Were you, mm. Had you done comedy at that point? Yes, uh, I think so. Yes, it was around that period when I got that job when I did my first gig, um, and it's interesting. The first gig. It, should we talk about the first? Yeah, gig? yeah. The first gig is uh, is up for debate, really. Yeah, and often there's a, a lot of people have a yeah. either one that they don't want to mention or there's a... yeah. Well, I yeah, I sort of don't want to mention it, but I've mentioned it loads in the past. Yeah, uh, but I don't want to mention it in the sense that like I'm annoyed about what happened, but I think also sort of integral for my journey that I had to go through a huge public humiliation essentially and uh, it was when I was working at the theatre so it was around um, when, I, when I was 19 was when I started doing comedy and I was working at the theatre at university not really enjoying university studies theatre was perfectly nice I, I really enjoyed that job in lots of ways um, and yeah uh, my friend said oh, I'm going down to the comedy store to watch King Gong uh, which is a uh, for for non connoisseurs of comedy. It's a sort of um, a new new act night where people go up and they do they try to get to five minutes, but the audience have cards. There's three audience members that are given cards, and if all of the cards go up, they're gonged off. And so it's this sort of slightly bear baiting y thing where it's, people it's give it a go. Self advertised as the most brutal open mic comedy yes, night. Yeah. And it's a really, uh, it really sort of hones you um, as a new actor in some ways. Don't tell me this is the first time you got on stage. Yeah, so I went and I got very drunk on Magnus. And it was Mick Ferry who was comparing, who was brilliant. And the standard had been, as I remember, not that good. And I remember thinking, I'm funnier than this. And Mick Ferry then said, does anyone in the audience want to give it a go? And I was thinking, I could do better than that. And I think I must have been toying with the idea of doing stand-up at that point because... Um, I had one joke in, in my head. And so I said yes. And he was like, come on, then up you come. And, um, oh, even that, like the fact that the audience know that you're from the audience. Yes. And my one joke was about Madeleine McCann. And she'd only just been uh, abducted, as far as I'm aware. Like it was, it was in the public consciousness, you know. Yeah. And, um, and I, I, yeah, I just said, as anyone in the audience, it's funny. I like I've talked about this and I've talked about it 
because it's true and what happened. And uh, recently, The Sun ran an article about it being like, life's its shame about Maddie or whatever. And I definitely wouldn't do that joke <laughs> now, but that's because I'm, you know, a much better comedian than I was when I was pissed on Magnus going up, having never done stand-up. Um, and I thought that's what comedy was. I thought it was like saying something controversial or whatever. Yeah. And I went up and I said, just before I start, can everyone have a quick look for Madeline? And the audience sort of went, ooh, like they didn't trust me with that. And uh, and then I sort of panicked and sort of pointed at the at the sign behind the, uh, the stage, which says Comedy Store. And I was like, it's comedy, guys. you know. And then I sort of started flailing a bit. And then I didn't have anything else. So I was like, I just walked off. Like, I just sort of realized I got nothing else. And so technically, was, you didn't get gonged off. No, that's true. Um, it's still going on. I sort of self gong. Yeah, it's probably the longest <laughs> set anyone's done. You only have to do five minutes, you've done 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, because I was so drunk, I fell as I came off the oh, stage no. as well. So I was, it was a sort of stumble and then went back to my seat. And then my face was really hot and everyone's looking at me and my friends didn't want to be next to me. And the whole thing was humiliating and then we were on the bus on the way home and a lot of the people who've been at the gig are also on the bus and they were embarrassed for me and this whole thing was just like I just felt really mortified and I remember waking up the next day and I sort of rang mum and was sort of felt embarrassed to tell her like I've been you know I felt like I almost felt like I've been cancelled you know I just felt like really um ashamed and I think that sowed the seed of kind of going I've got to prove all these people wrong all the people in that room I've got to I've got to prove them wrong. I can do this. So not, not too di- when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Similar feelings from when you were at the Glee Club. It was yeah, almost trying to... It's a lot of proving people wrong. Yeah. yeah. How, how long before this would have that got, going to the Glee been? Uh, probably a year or so. So it was all around a similar time. Yeah. And you're kind of having the thoughts and it's kind of thinking about it mm. you go up to university then and i guess yeah a lot of these kind of opportunities then kind of yeah there's a lot of creative people around yeah I, 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 the, t- the timeline is sort of a bit blurry but it must have been actually in my head it's like oh you know i was thinking about it for five years and then i didn't do anything for another five years and then actually it was probably all happening within about two years a space of about two years and then what did happen is i so i did that gong show which i think was sort of later on in the year the the, the year when i was I was probably 19 then as well. It's probably sort of October, November time then. And then in the new year, in February, this audition came up to do some stand-up as part of a charity gig that one of the students was running. And um, a lovely girl called Eleanor Tom, who's a, a great friend of mine still and a very funny person. And um, I auditioned and I like rehearsed a thing. I wrote it properly and all that. And they liked it. And then I actually worked with Camille Uchan, who was also at Manchester University, um, who was part of a group called Lady Garden. They're now known as Birthday Girls. There's slightly fewer of them now. Um, and worked with her, rehearsing it, rewriting bits, whatever. So I'd properly kind of knew my set back to front so that when I went out, I knew what I was doing. And I went on after Jack Whitehall, who was... Who was really sort of making waves at that point he'd sort of just done edinburgh and this is that first gig so official first gig, yeah yeah yes so um, what, what are we talking about you say like a charity thing but obviously so that was also at the comedy store and it was sold out so it's about 400 people wow and back onto the stage as well back onto the stage where i died on my ass so it was kind of uh, a weird catharsis and it went well, went really well. Were they looking for someone who had never done it, or were they just looking for They're looking for anyone? Really, somebody, yeah. uh, people, who, people at university who wanted to give it a go. Yeah, they just wanted to fill out that bill. 
And um, well, so what do you do for the rehearsal then? Do you put together a set before you go in? Yeah, yeah, basically. And we were sort of just rehearsing that set and just doing lots of trying those jokes out. And yeah. So that's wild. That's like almost like there's three first gigs going on here now. Well, yeah, (laughs) because I was I was studying drama and English. So, you know, the drama people like Camille was a drama student as well. And Eleanor was. So there was a real sense of like you write a script and you perform it and you rehearse yeah. it. So that's, we, we sort of treated it a bit like theatre. So yeah, so performing and, wasn't too out of the realm then for what was going on. No, of course. Yeah, so I'd done theatre bits and I'd auditioned for stuff and didn't get loads. I'd had a little part in a musical at uni and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd been on stage a few times before. Um, but yeah, that was like my first stand-up, um, official stand-up gig. So we're talking the comedy store, 400 people. This charity event, Jack Whitehall. Do you remember who else was on? Uh, so birthday girls are all, uh, well, um, well, as they were known, Lady Garden. So they were doing sketches. There was a guy comparing who was brilliant, whose name has escaped me. Um, there's a poster for it somewhere, and I think that actually quite a lot of them um, do still work in comedy. But I'm, I'm str- um, scrambling around for names now. But there were, yeah, there were lots of. Very funny people. It was a good. It was a fun night. It was lots. It was really good. I'm. I'm almost like curious now about a couple of gigs in, and your smallest audience is still 400 people. Yeah, yeah. Um. So you. Yeah. So you're. You're very prepared for this set. I'm very prepared. You've got. You know. You've. You've kind of people helping you. Mm. Um. You're going on after Jack Whitehall. When Jack's on, do you? Do you remember how you're feeling? Or terrified. Yeah. Because I thought I was going to be humiliated again, and there were more friends in this time. Any from the from the gun? Yes, I think so. Yeah, it was my friend Ed. Who <laughs> now, like, we'd like enough, to see it more. Yeah, funnily enough, um, Ed is now my director, and he's a brilliant um, director, and he directs my stand-up shows. So we've come full circle on that one, and he and it's quite useful for him because, like, if I ever get like a bit of a bee in my bonnet or whatever, um, is that the right term? Not bee in my bonnet. If I ever get above my station. He'll be like, do you remember that first gig? Oh, fuck. Yeah, like, it sort of takes me back there immediately. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, there's also in that audience was a, a guy called Ali McDowell, who is a theatre writer now, a very successful theatre writer, who lives, still lives in Manchester. And um, he, I'd worked with him on a film that he'd made, and he was a real, like, um, a really excellent writer, but really kind of, loved the craft of the thing and was uh, perfectionist isn't the right word but like what like really respected stuff that was good and I felt like he I would probably struggle to impress him and he spoke he spoke to me for quite a long time after that gig and said like I was really brilliant Joe I think you like you could you could have a good go at this and I remember that being really um uh, being uh, being so excited by that, you know, that someone has sort of gone like, you'll you keep exploring this because you've got something here. And then there were other, I mean, Manchester was a brilliant place to be doing stand-up around that time and still is. So I just became addicted to booking gigs in and I loved seeing them in the diary and knowing that I was in demand. <laughs> going into that show, was there further, like, maybe conditionally, right, if it goes well, I might do more, but like, or was it just right? That's the show I'm working towards. It could yes. be. It could be a one and done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that. I was just experimenting, essentially, trying and, something out. Like, and, yeah, but also trying to prove to myself that I could do it. And then I think what I realised was that, like, I got the laughs, but I didn't feel confident in it. You know, I didn't feel like I knew what I was doing. I didn't feel like I was fluid on stage or entirely myself. But I did the script and I did it well. And I think that, but I loved the buzz of the laugh. Loved it. And I think what I wanted was more of that, essentially. I didn't overthink it in terms of like what I think all, the, 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 total, the goal, the dream was to be someone like Tom Stade where I was playing clubs and my job was that, you know, I was, that, that's all I wanted. I didn't, I didn't ever dream of doing my own tour shows and, or doing telly or anything like that. I just thought that was beyond the realms of possibility for someone like me. Didn't ever think that that was going to happen. But I just thought I didn't want to work in a job. I didn't want to have like nine to five. Didn't want to be in an office. Didn't want to do yeah. that. And so it, it was the first thing that I kind of thought was potentially viable that I might be able to scrape some money out of. Um, I say certainly, you know, doing drama in college, you're looking for some outlet at the end. So, yeah. I guess, yeah, if, if this ticks those boxes. What, what, what are your memories of being on stage that night? 
I don't really have memories of it. That's the weird thing about it. I don't remember what, looking out into the room. I don't remember. I remember Jack Whitehall coming off and saying to me, oh, there's a guy on the front right who's a bit heckly, but I think I've dealt with him. I don't think he's going to go again. And I remember being like, I don't know what to do if he goes again. What the fuck do I do with that information? But sort of feeling like uh, protected by Jack that he'd kind of said that and sort of said, oh, there's someone who's in the way, but like, don't worry about him. Um, uh but yeah, beyond that, I didn't, I had no idea what the fuck was going on. And then, yeah, I, what's weird about it is that I, there was a recording of it, I'm fairly sure, that I w- was given afterwards. And I've got more memory about the recording of the gig yeah. because I watched that more. So weirdly, m- all my memories of like watching it from a sound booth camera. Yeah, no, that's, strangely. I think that's very much the way it kind of replaces. Because even without the recording, it's almost like just you go up, you blank, you walk off stage. Kind exactly, of thing. yeah. You're kind of in it too much to kind of think about how it's going. And then it was fine. And then and then I couldn't tell you when the next one was, but I then was just obsessed with getting gigs. You know, and just, so. yeah, well, I guess there's a, there's enough people around that you can kind of sound out, right, what do I do, who do I talk yeah, to? exactly, yeah. Do you still have that recording? Somewhere? I think it's somewhere, yeah. It must be, yeah. I think, it, I think I put it onto YouTube. I don't think it's available now, but... um. It might still be in the depths of my hidden YouTube videos. Yeah. And, yeah, I should watch it and see. Well, I mean, I don't, it, it could be awful. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think it probably is awful. I don't think, it's, I don't think I'd do any of the material in it now. I did end with a, with a number. I did a song at the end. Oh, wow. Where I um, did a version of Drop It Like It's Hot, but where I wore a top hat and it was You're a Filthy Peasant. And it was um, me pretending to be so rich person going, going, you're a filthy peasant, you know, just sort of being very, um, and calling all the audience peasants, essentially. Um, That's straight out of the drama college there. Exactly. And and when some of my drama, drama um, sort of associates came to later gigs, they were like, oh, I loved that number. And I was thinking, the frog and bucket in Manchester <laughs> would not love that number. How long are you uh, still in university then before you... Uh before we finish up after after starting so, comedy yeah well uh, i was in my second year so i did another year at university but to be honest i tapped out by that point the course at university uh, was not great um i felt sort of slightly abandoned by manchester university i didn't feel like they kind of gave a shit really. yeah and i think a lot of my um fellow people who were in on that the drama course particularly felt the same that it was a kind of there wasn't a lot of contact hours and they didn't really seem to care about any of the extracurricular stuff and there's some excellent people there but um yeah I didn't I wasn't fussed about being part of an institution I never have been and I still don't really you know I sort of still resent having to kind of work for any institution because I don't like rules and I don't like the kind of stuffiness of the traditions of the way these places work and um but I'm also very kind of agreeable and affable, so I will end up kind of working for those places. But the, I, I'm always my favourite and the thing that I love about stand-up is that it's entirely mine and there's no one getting in the way. And I take advice from people, but it's up to me whether I take that advice. You know, I'll listen to advice, but uh, it's up to me what I do. And once you're up there, you're up there and I'm doing it and it's up to me. And that is a rare thing in the arts Um because even if you're, you know, a brilliant musician, you're probably having to deal with a label and they're deciding which tracks go in which order and how to promote it and all of these different things. And with stand-up, once you're in front of an audience, it's on you and that's it. And uh, you haven't got a set, like a track list. You can break that track list and you're not, you know, your band isn't sort of going, what the fuck are we doing? You know, it's all on you. And I love the freedom of that and the creative possibilities of that and there's to my to my mind there's no other art form like it i don't think any other art form uh would satisfy the creative itch in the way that stand-up does see it's funny yeah because like it's that that's a kind of a common response when if someone has come from either like stage acting or drama college or something like that it's it's about right the freedom and all that stuff but like this is the only form. This is the only form of performance that I've ever known. So I've never been in any of those worlds. Mm. And I guess yeah, when you, when you explicitly say it like that, right? The rules telling you what to do and all this stuff. Like I, that would like if, if you tried to apply it to this. But the, it, it, it would it be gets the worst. applied to this all the time in TV. 
and TV, I'm I've, sure, yeah. Uh, increasingly find that really frustrating. And I don't think I produce my best work in TV. I think I've got better at it and I've learned to essentially stifle the um, instinct, the creative instinct in me. And a lot of the time it's to do with the studio audience. You know, a lot of the time you're having to repeat things, you're having to do them again because they've changed words, all of that sort of thing. And the instinct in me is like, there's an audience in front of me here that are bored shitless or they're annoyed or like they're going like, why am I listening to this again twice? I'm not, I'm not entertaining this audience the the standard is not good enough for this audience and you're having to override that constantly because tv doesn't give a shit about the studio audience it's like well they're just they're just filler it's just they're just people here and actually my entire everything about me is like this these people in front of me need to enjoy this they've come they've, they've, they've their evening is this and uh and so often things are written by committee or you kind of get them uh, kind of just as they're about to go on because they've had to be rewritten for all sorts of different reasons, often legal ones. And I find that really frustrating. And I've, as I say, I've got better at dealing with it and I can do it, but I hadn't realised before this tour how much I'd missed just being able to go, well, I just, this is what I want to say, I'm going to say it. And that's that's it. You know, there's nobody going, like, mm, should we maybe rewrite that, that word? Like all of that shit, you just kind of... Fuck off! <laughs> yeah, think you you can think about it, but I, I I don't glean any pleasure from that. I'm not getting any creative enjoyment from pouring over something. It's like it needs. I, I can on my own terms, I can do that. You know, I, I work hard on my shows and I think about how they should be written and how whatever. But the joy, the real joy, is when you're out there just in flow. Great, free. Yeah, I guess yeah, because you see a lot of people who who you know who who work a lot in TV, whether it's guesting on shows or presenting shows or doing their own shows they'll stand up will take quite a bit of a back seat or even be left behind a bit so yes is, is that why you kind of um you know st- still still yeah stand up it's the best it's the best yeah I've, the the only thing that sort of has come close actually recently is i did a live tv show um about pride a thing for channel four and i've said for a while that i really enjoy live tv because it it gets closest to the live experience because again, once you're on, you're on, you know, yeah. and you can start to break it a little bit. And if you don't like a bit of script and you just don't do it, you know, it's sort of, it's that kind of thing. Once you're, once you're out there and, um, uh, I loved that really got a buzz from that and loved that liveness of it. And the fact that midway through an op- like a, a line, you know, it could just be thrown to a part or whatever, I could just sort of break out of it if I felt instinctively like that might be fun. And I could just say something over here and then come back to the auto queue and go, what am I saying again? You know, yeah. like, and that's kind of the fun bits for me. That's what I love. Whereas when you're in a studio and something that's pre-recorded, and it's the fault of TV being so kind of perfect a lot of the time is that audiences expect now when they turn on the TV, they expect if it's pre-recorded, if you watch something like 8 out of 10 Cats or whatever, you're expecting some, particularly the host, to deliver the line perfectly and not to break out of it and not to do, not to stumble or whatever. You never see a stumble in, in a host on a pre-recorded thing. People stumble all the time and often that mm. leads to amazing things. But if you are aware that a stumble will result in a pre, in, a, in a, an extra record, you get in your head a lot, or at least I do. So suddenly everything's really sad because you're just in your head the whole time. And... I, I was constantly trying to find ways of making it better and actually I sort of arrived at the decision that like I just don't really enjoy hosting studio shows <laughs> it's just like you know that's just not for me in the same way that I don't really enjoy you know cycling I just it's I, I had a go it's not for me <laughs> but so I'm trying to find ways of with studio shows getting better at it and and um and yeah not being too you know, there are ways of doing it that aren't, aren't too obsessed with being perfect I suppose to wrap up the story about your first gig, God, we're we still on. That? <laughs> Wait, no, we've we, gone. We've gone on a real tangent. Well, yeah, well, no, we, we, we've gone some nice, uh, nice little avenues. But if we could go, we're, we're backstage at the comedy store. Jack yep. Whitehall's just warned you about the heckler on the rice. Mm. But if you today, as we are now, could jump into that room with you back then as well, mm. what do you, what do you think you'd say? Yes. If you, if you had a moment with yourself. Don't think I'd change anything. I just, I think that I, I think I'd, I'd just be like, go for it, enjoy it, you know. Um, yeah, I, I, there's 
I'm very fortunate that I've really enjoyed so much. I've, I've things have fallen in, in front of me that uh, I've been very lucky to have, and um, yeah, I'm. I don't think there's. I don't think I could have played it any differently. Really, I don't. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know what I'd say other than like, God, you look thin. <laughs> you're like, you know, don't, yeah, you think you're fat right now. Fuck, you know, give yourself 15 years. You're long for this body. You've got, you've got a long way to go, kid. <laughs> um, yeah. There we go. Well, Joel, I said thank you for chatting about your first gig. Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. There we have it. Round of applause from everybody in the studio audience. Thank you. Thank you so much. Cheers, guys. Thank you so much. Joe Lyson, everyone. Give it up for Joe Lyson. Come on. Yeah. Oh, I just got a reflection in the, in the door and I thought there was somebody else cheering. I was like, there's not actually people here. I'm in a house on my own and it's, um, yeah, I realize how scared I am in houses on my own. I see mice all the time. I see rats all the time. I see people all the time. I hear people all the time. And... I would prefer to be broken into, I've realized. I'd prefer someone to walk up the stairs and I go, I can hear them, than if I was, say, sitting in the sitting room and someone just stood at the window in the garden just staring at me, just going. Because then you feel trapped a bit. At least if they're in the house, you know where they are. You just do a little home alone on them and you scoot out the window. This way they're going to go, you're in there. We know where you are. I'm out here. You can stay in there with me out here. Or you can come out here with me out here. Where'd you go? Joe Lysett. What a podcast. Uh, hope you had fun. Hope you like listening to it. All the plugs again. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Patreon, forward slash My First Gig Pod. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, hi. Next week doesn't have a video. I'll, I'll have a video, but the guest will be, will be uh, audio only. I'm going to tell you who the guest is. I'm going to think I'm going to start doing that. At the end of the episodes, I'm going to say next week's guest. But I'm not going to say it on social media until the Monday of. When I'm putting out saying, hey, it's on Patreon now, then I'll publicly say the guest. But if you listen to this end part, you will hear the guest. And my guest next week is the fantastic, the wonderful, the one of a kind, Ireland's own, Alison Spittle. Alison is a fantastic comedian, living in London now. Just finished her run of Wet at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And delighted to share her story. She was... I don't know. We, I, I touched upon it at the start of the episode with her. When I started, she was... You know, she had done some really fun things and done some good things. Like, she, she'd had success for sure, but she was still kind of on the, you know she wasn't quite through that next level yet she was doing well within the confines of like the scene that we were in and she soon broke out of that and like is now you know when, when, when she comes back and does gigs for us it's so good because oh, wow she's done these tv shows she's writing on uk tv she's touring you know all, all these other things so i've known her story knowing her personally from not her early days, but I, I, I've seen the rise of her from her kind of, you know, right, I've established myself here in this initial place. Now i got to go and go on further, and she's been doing so well. Top podcast on BBC Sounds, you know, so many fun things. But I didn't know that prior story on how she got there. So it was very nice to, you know, complete the story for me. Um, And it's a very fun story. Alison's a great guest. We recorded it at Cherry Comedy in Wheelands before she performed uh, a couple of months ago. Um, I think it was probably the June Bank Holiday weekend. I think it was just after Kilkenny Cat Laughs. I might have that wrong. Um, but yeah, Cherry Comedy. Um, if you are in Dublin, Cherry Comedy, every single Monday night in Whelan's. It is the uh, club I run and has so many great guests. TripAdvisor considers us the number one nightlife activity. So the tourists like it. If you're a tourist, come see it. If you're not a tourist, lad, it's right there. It's under a tenner. Um, but yeah, yeah. That's all the plugs. Guys, thanks so much for listening. It's great to be back. And 
it's great to be doing this again. I love getting the chance to talk to these people and hearing their stories because you could listen to a hundred podcasts with the same guests and they're going to say the same thing. And that's fine because those are the interesting questions. And that's why those are the ones that will be listened to a million times more than this. So as niche as this is, these I love those little the little questions. Like, right, you know, yeah, it was great to film a Netflix special, but what were you working as when you did your first gig? What was the plan? What was your where was your life? So, if you like these, any kind of support you can, even if it's just telling a friend to check it out. If you just know someone who likes watching Joe Lysa videos on YouTube, go hey, listen to this, hear how he, how it all started for him, and um, yeah, myfirstgigpod.com. dot com. At Dwayne Dugan is me. Follow me if you if you like what I'm saying. You know. I don't know how to. I don't remember. Did I sign this off a certain way? If there's because I love familiarity, especially in podcasts. I love the little catchphrases. I love the, you know, the little nuances that happen every week. I think that's what we all recognize and enjoy. That's why we love songs so much. Once they're catchy, they're in your head. You like to sing along. Like, did I just mansplain songs to a podcast audience? Oh. Time to go. Goodbye, goodbye, good friends, goodbye. And if that's what my brain defaulted in, I listened to the start of all these episodes. That's what I knew what to say at the start. I never listened to the end of any episodes. And the second I did that, I'm going to go, I definitely did that before because I'm a basic bitch, predictable, no original thought, just one trick pony. <laughs> I love that it's like, hey, so happy to be back. And I'm about to sign off berating myself for, for being a hack and just overall shite. Um, guys, my first gig, it's back. We're back next week. Alison Spittle, tell your friends. I'm going to go because I think it's just going to get darker. This is a this is an insight into my soul that I didn't think that uh, yeah, we needed to see. So on that note... <laughs> I'm Dwayne Duke, and for my first gig, goodbye. Mother of God. It's the My First Gig Podcast. Whoa. You've been listening to My First Gig with Dwayne Dugan on Acast. Follow online at My First Gig Pod or at Dwayne Dugan. For classic episodes, ad-free, early access and more, head to myfirstgigpod.com. This is My First Gig with Dwayne Dugan, powered by Acast. Enjoy. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.